0: So I want to give you some ideas, hopefully some practical ways to resist Satan and his schemes. And before I start, I want to open with prayer. Because I know I need it. (laughs) I don't know about you all, but I need it. So Lord, I just want to thank you for this time together this morning, Lord. Help us to learn more from your word, learn more from Jesus about how we should do things, about how we should resist the devil, Lord, resist Satan. And keep going in the work that you have set before us. I ask that you would just help me to rightly divide the word, Lord. Help me to deliver it in a way that is understanding and understandable. And Lord, just continue to bless your church as your word goes forth. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, first, thing, I got to tell you a story about little Johnny. Well, I guess it. Down here it might be Juanito, right? So <laughs> anyway, little Johnny always liked to go next door to play, even though his mom told him, Don't do that. He would just go into people's backyard and play. This worried her so badly that she asked him, Why? Why do you do this? And he said, Well, Satan tempted me to do it. And I did I don't know what to do about it. I, you know. So his mom advised me, she said, When it happens, you say, Satan, get thee behind me. Whenever he's tempted. So she, she, built, she built a fence around the house as well, just you know, for double security. So this worked for like a week, and then one Sunday afternoon, she sees little Johnny, and he's playing in the neighbor's backyard again, and there's a hole cut in her new fence. And she yells, Johnny, come here! Didn't I tell you not to play in the backyard? Didn't I tell you to say, Satan, get behind me! When he tempted you, and he says yeah I did He says, I told Satan get behind me and he got behind me and pushed me right through that hole in the fence <laughs> so we don't want to be like Johnny right but um, the idea of Satan like, gives us a, you know, some questions here so you know, the next slide here goes. first off is Satan real there's a lot of confusion over this today now, the second one where does Satan come from the next one why is he still around And the last one, is he a threat today to us? So these are good questions, and we're going to look at these. The Bible, I want to make clear, the Bible clearly states that Satan is real. He's mentioned by name in 47 passages in the NIV translation, and he's mentioned in 33 more as the devil. He's described as the one who tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He's the one who tempted Jesus when Jesus was in the desert. The first explicit mention of Satan is in 1 Chronicles, although the idea of Satan is, of course, in Genesis when the serpent tempted Adam and Eve. But I want to look at 1 Chronicles. There we go. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to count the people of Israel. We see here Satan rose up against Israel. This is his standard method of operation. Whenever God's people... Are coming together to serve god you can be sure that Satan's going to be there causing trouble last thursday the 7th of march i was preparing to go to work i, I you know by vocational i work full job full-time job my wife asked me she said what are you going to preach on when you go to angels church i said you know i'm thinking about james 4 7 and we're going to be looking at the first seven verses of James if you want to go there in your Bible, but we've got a lot of other stuff to get to before that, but I told her that it talks about, you know, therefore submit yourselves to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you that very afternoon I was at work and I just started feeling dizzy, nauseous I had broke out in a cold sweat I pale as a ghost my, even my boss said you should probably call your wife to come and get you because I don't think you can drive, you know? So I called her and we had a miracle right there because I called her and she didn't ask me like 15 questions, you know? She just said, okay, I'll be there. So she comes and she gets me and my boss and a and, uh, friend of mine carried me out basically you know, one on each side of me, he carried him out to, the, out to the van and we get in the van and my boss tells her, he says, get him to urgent care. I'm really worried about it. So we go to urgent care and the doctor there was convinced I was having a stroke, based on the way my eyes were reacting and all the other things, you know, this eye-hand coordination was off, all this stuff. So he calls the EMTs, and they take me by by ambulance to the emergency room. So at the emergency room, they do CAT scan, all kinds of blood tests and stuff, and everything came back negative. I was still sick. But there was no stroke. Now I'm I'm firmly convinced it wasn't. They said it was vertigo. Is what they told me. It's basically an inner ear thing. I, I I'm firmly convinced it was an attack by Satan. And I you know because the whole time I was there, the, the, my church came down there. They had a they had a prayer meeting in the emergency room waiting room. But I, the whole time I'm there, I'm thinking no weapon fashioned against us can can prevail. That's what I was thinking. That's why I was praying. And uh, but I think that God delivered me from that. Whether it was a beginning of a stroke or whether it was desperate to go, whatever it was, but a stroke in the making or something. But anyway, that's as soon as you're going to do something for for God, Satan's going to try and stop you. So anyway, back to the thing here. First Chronicles is the first explicit mention, but in Job, which was written chronologically before Chronicles, there's many references to Satan. So we got. Job one six to eight says, one day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Oh, by the way, no electronics. See, I'm, I'm old school. At least it's not handwritten; it's typed. But anyway, you might know it's here. So, anyway, uh, came to them, and the son, Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, "Where have you come from?" Satan says, "From from roaming the earth." Satan answered him and walking on it. Next slide. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. Now, having God bragging on you to Satan is the subject of a whole other sermon, okay? So we're not going to get into that. But I want to return to Job later on to get the rest of the story here. But Satan is also mentioned in the New Testament. This Next slide here. In Matthew 4.10, it says, Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. This, of course, is during the temptation of Jesus in the desert. And Satan is identified as a tempter of Jesus. And it's not just some idea of evil. It's no, Jesus is saying he's a real being, a real person. So the Bible tells us, Jesus confirms it, that Satan's real. The next slide is, where did Satan come from? That is, what is the origin of Satan? First of all, we need to recognize that Satan is not the equal of God. It's not like this is Clash of the Titans or something like that, where you have these two opposing, evenly matched people or beings that are, you know, having a titanic struggle for the earth or something like that. That's taking the idea of the Greek and Roman God, the mythologies, and just bringing them and putting a Bible, you know, look on them. It's something can try to make them something biblical. It's not. Now, the truth of it is, Satan is a created being. In Job again, it says, one day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came with them. This implies that Satan is one of the sons of God that is a created being. Some people believe that Satan is an angel. I can't disprove that because he's mentioned in Revelation 12:9, Next slide, I think we got. In connection with angels, it says, The great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. He also, it's said that he masquerades as an angel. Uh, was it next slide here? In 1 Corinthians 11. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So, well, it may well be that satan is an angel it's probably safer to say he's one of what we call the heavenly host the heavenly host is actually from the hebrew word sabayoff or savat which means armies the general idea is a large group of god's servants in heaven some of these servants do form an army which does battle with the forces of evil but others just do god's bidding we look at psalm 103 next slide says, Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. So we can safely say that Satan is an angelic created being. He may or may not be an actual angel, but he is one of the heavenly hosts, and this is important. He's subordinate to God. Remember Job where Satan presented himself before the throne? Satan is subservient to the Lord. So next slide why though is satan now allowed to still roam the earth and walk around on it because he's a created being he's subordinate to god he can only do what god permits him to do earlier in job and i'm going to go back to that we saw that god was bragging on job and then satan says satan answered the lord does job fear god for nothing haven't you placed a hedge around him his household and everything he owns you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike him, strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to his face, or to your face. And the Lord replies, Very well, the Lord told Satan. Everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. So we see that Satan is not omnipotent. He can only do what God allows him to do. But the reason that Satan is allowed to roam through the earth is that God aims to defeat Satan in a way that glorifies himself, not only glorifies his power, but also shows the superior beauty and worth and desirability of Jesus Christ over Satan. I've been reading a book, we've been reading a book by John Piper. The main premise of it is that God's main purpose, God's ultimate objective, is His glory. God could simply exert His power and snuff Satan out. That would glorify His power, but it would not display the superior worth of Jesus over Satan. That display started when Christ defeated Satan by His death and resurrection and it's shown every time an unbeliever becomes a child of God. This shows the superiority of Jesus' truth over the lies of satan as it says in colossians 2 he that is jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly he that is god triumphed over them in him in jesus if it's one thing satan can't stand is to be disgraced publicly i don't think anybody likes it but satan especially this is why we see satanic attacks on Christians when God is being exalted. Satan wants the worship that belongs to God, but he can't have it. But he still tries to get it. So what about today? Is Satan a real threat to the world, to the redeemed? Well, as we saw in Revelation twelve nine, the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to the earth and his angels with him. Satan is the Greek satanus, meaning accuser or adversary. And it's the same as the devil, which comes from diavolos, meaning slanderer, liar, cheat. We get the word diabolic, the Spanish diablo, comes from the same root. Revelation 12 continues in verse 10. I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, next slide, because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. Satan's main occupation is accusing the brothers and sisters, the children of God. He's still doing this work day and night. When God doesn't listen to him because we're covered by the blood of Jesus, he doesn't stop. He comes to us. And he starts accusing ourselves. This morning, I woke up at 3 a.m. and I'm thinking to myself, "Who am I going to come over here and present the word of God in this church?" You know, I'm nothing. You know, I'm a sinner, saved by grace. And I had to I had to remind myself, like Paul, that I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. It's not me. I'm not I'm not preaching the word of Jim here. I'm preaching the word of God. I'm teaching the word of God. It's you know, not me. It's it's him also but you gotta remember what 1st Peter says be sober minded be alert your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour Satan's mission is to keep Christians from fulfilling their God given mission he's definitely an issue for believers today but what about the unsaved well let's look at Paul says in Ephesians here You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit, now working in the disobedient. We see Satan working in the disobedient, the unsaved. They're in bondage to Satan. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, then the spirit of the ruler of the power of the air is working in you. Now, the ruler of the power of the air, of course, is Satan. And Jesus refers to Satan as such in John 12, when Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He said, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. He was talking about his upcoming crucifixion and resurrection, where this world and Satan would be judged, and death would be defeated. During the Last Supper, Jesus also said this about Satan. He said, I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me. Satan has no power over Jesus because Jesus is God incarnate. And Satan is subservient to God. But this is another verse that supports that idea. But it also means Satan has no power over us because we are in Christ. Paul refers to Satan as the God of this age in 2 Corinthians four four. He says, In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In their case, the there refers to unbelievers. We see that Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from understanding and receiving the gospel. But this brothers and sisters this is why it is so important for us to share the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone we meet the Holy Spirit is the only power that can unblind the minds of unbelievers and allow the gospel to come in but we are the vessels that carry that gospel to a lost and dying world this it says in 2nd Corinthians 5 18, everything's from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation because we have been reconciled to god we have the ministry of reconciliation and we'll have to give an account for how we've used that ministry so back to our discussion though we know that Satan's real we know where he came from we know why he's still around and we know he's still a threat to us and unbelievers so let's look at the topic verse james 4 7 it says therefore submit to god resist the devil and he will flee from you so let's unpack this a little bit the greek word here for submit is i got i'm not the greek scholar so hypotagate and means to subject yourself to to becomes to be in subjection to to or subordinate to in other words to take orders from someone In this case, God. We must be in subjection to God or we're doing the devil's bidding. The Greek word for resist is antistete, and it means to array against. Anti always means opposite, against, like the antichrist, antistete. I'm not sure what a stete is, but anyway. But it means to array against, as in God resists the proud. That is, God sets himself against the proud. We ought to set ourselves against Satan. That is, we need to stand firm, immovable, against him like a fortification but it also carries the idea of active opposition like jesus says in matthew 16 i also say to you that you are peter and on this rock i would build my church and the gates of hades will not overpower it withstanding satan resisting satan is not just a defensive action it's also an offensive action the reason paul used so many military metaphors in his epistles It's because we are soldiers in the war for souls. People are perishing every day because they believe Satan's lies. We need to be about our father's business, bringing the truth of Jesus to them. But back to James 4, 7. The Greek word for flee is phuketai, and it's only used here in this verse. It literally means to run away. There's an old song. Just one of us can put a thousand to flat and two of us can send the legions fleeing i know you guys won't know that one but it's an old song i can't say anyway now therefore at the beginning of the verse refers to what james has written before this verse and as they always say when you see therefore in the bible you need to go back and look and see what it's there for so let's look at the first six verses He says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then, of course, he follows that with, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you in verse 7. So, there's a lot in there. I'm going to take this apart here. I've used the letters resist. I'm going to make a little mnemonic here for you the ways we can resist the devil. So, the first letter R stands for receive, as in receive from God. Verses uh, 1 and 2, he says, What is the source? of wars and fights among you, don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. We need to be content with what we have, with what God has given us. Paul says in Philippians 4.12, I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. The secret is in the next verse where Paul says, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me, him being Jesus Christ, of course. But I think it's interesting that Paul said, I, I, wasn't, I haven't been given this, this ability. I had to learn it okay i didn't know how to read when i was a child i had to learn how to read i didn't know how to drive a car i had to learn how to drive a car we have to learn to be content it implies it's not something that comes naturally to us to be content we covet we don't get what we want or what we think we deserve and that opens the door for satan to tempt us watchman Nee, a chinese church leader and a christian teacher who died in 1972 after 20 years in a Chinese prison says he who is able to accept everything gladly from the Lord including darkness dryness flatness and completely disregard self is he who lives for him but notice James says you do not have because you do not ask we should be asking God for whatever we need that is whatever we're lacking James says earlier in his apostle back at James 1 5 he says in epistle, am sorry. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Paul writes in Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Notice this verse says needs, not wants. Right. But when we're attuned to God, when we're submitted to God, it says in James 4, 7, then whatever we ask for will be our needs because we will have the mind of Christ in us. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, for who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Keeping the mind of Christ in us, thinking what Jesus thinks, feeling what Jesus feels, doing what Jesus does, keeps us submitted to God, connected to God, just as Jesus was connected and submitted to God. The second letter, E, stands for enmity. That is, enmity with the world. James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. So, to be a friend of God, to have the mind that was in Christ, we cannot afford to have friendship with the world. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't associate with anyone who's unsaved. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5. I wrote you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of the world or the greedy and swindlers and idolaters. Otherwise, you'd have to leave the world. Paul's warning believers not to associate with other nominal believers who are in unrepentant sin. I think we get an idea by looking at the opening in James 4 where he says, You adulterous people. James is writing to the saved believers as well, but he calls them adulterous people. And can you imagine Pastor Angel getting up here and saying, You adulterous people? You know, I mean it's just it's you know, anyway. <laughs> James calls these believers, he calls those believers who have friendship with the world, he calls them adulterers. This goes back to the back to the old testament when you know God told Israel, you guys are adulterers. You've left me. You've gone after other gods and stuff like that. And I think that's what he's saying here. He's saying, you believers, you say you belong to God. You claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you sure don't act like it. You put idols in the place of God. I think we used to call these people Sunday Christians. They go to church on Sunday and they act all nice and you know very pious and stuff. And they go home, they kick the dog, beat the wife, cheat on her taxes, lust after the neighbor's wife, go gambling and stuff. You'd be hard-pressed to say they ever had a real conversion experience. After all, who are the enemies of God, if not the unsaved? And James says, the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. I don't know about you, but I sure don't want to have God as my enemy, okay? I'd much rather having him as a friend. The next letter, S, third letter, is for spirit-filled. As Paul writes in Ephesians, 518 he says don't get drunk with wine which leads to reckless living but be filled by the spirit that is filled with the holy spirit also in galatians paul says i say then walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh being spirit-filled we're empowered to detect and resist the wiles of the devil not give in to the cravings the desires of the flesh but what does it take to be spirit-filled well, I'm going to give you some ideas here. First thing, you've got to be a believer. It's impossible for an unbeliever to be filled with anything but the spirit of this world. Second, stay fessed up. That is, confess your sins to God and to others whom your sin has hurt. Keep your heart pure before God. Third, stay prayed up. Pray constantly, all things, all the time, all situations. Next, be thankful keep an attitude of gratitude towards God and toward others next ask James says we have not because we ask not ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit I'm not going to get into the theological discussion about whether this filling of the Spirit is a one time occurrence or if you need to go back again and again I tend towards that part there where you go back and ask again and again because I don't know it's not the Holy Spirit it's me I find myself running on empty and when I do that, I try to do things of my own strength, and that never works so, I think you know, we can always ask God to refresh us again sixth, you've got to walk walk the walk and talk the talk remember Galatians 5, he said, I say then walk by the spirit you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh the next letter, I for in that is, in the word You can't expect to know and have the mind of Christ if you don't know anything about God or Jesus. We need to be in the Bible every day, folks. John Charles Ryle, an English Anglican bishop who died in 1900, said this. What is the best safeguard against false teaching? Beyond all doubt, the regular study of the Word of God with prayer for the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Reading, studying the Word of God, and praying for the teaching... Of the Holy Spirit. It's the King James version because all the rest of these scriptures have been from the CSB. But King James says in 2 Timothy two five, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I know we got some young people here. Studying is hard work. If you've ever done anything like that, I've had to study... A, you know, I try to learn everything, you know, new thing all the time. I try to never, I don't think we ever stop being students. We're learning something. I uh, actually, my, in my job, I'm a computer programmer, systems analyst type thing, and and uh, I didn't know anything about computers. When I, was, when I, they sent me this, I went to a thing for a Comprehensive Employment and Training Act back in the 80s. They said, you want to be a computer programmer? And I said, yeah, I've seen Star Trek. I know what a computer looks like, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, but I had to learn. As an adult, I had to learn. I'm still learning new things today. Anyway, studying can be hard work, but the reward of studying God's Word is far above the reward of studying any earthly things, especially when you have the Holy Spirit teaching you. The next letter, S, is for soft-spoken, especially when dealing with others. And I gotta tell you folks, but I'll stop right here and tell you this because whenever I end up preaching something, I always end up preaching to myself first. So don't think I'm telling you guys this like I got all this down, okay? Because I don't. (laughs) So my wife will tell you that. I need I need to work on being more (laughs) soft-spoken. Anyway, um, in Colossians three twelve, he says, "Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly beloved." or dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's not speaking explicitly here about speaking softly, but it does say we should connect ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. As the old saying goes, you can catch more flies with honey than you can vinegar. Later on in Colossians 4, though, Paul writes this, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. So here he's specifically talking about how we should act towards outsiders, that is the unsaved. Certainly speech that is gracious would be soft-spoken. Also note here it says so that you may know how you should answer each person. It's not a cookie cutter approach folks. Every person is different. What makes sense to one person may be total nonsense to somebody else. You need to give an appropriate answer to each person, and it may be different from person to person. The last letter T here is for trust. Trust in God. You know, the official motto of the United States government is in God we trust. It's on all the currency. It should be in our hearts. But God, I think, knew... How hard it was for us to trust him because he put so many scriptures in about trusting God. Psalm 9 says, Those who know your name trust in you because you have not abandoned those who seek you, Lord. God, who has started the work in us, will see it to completion. And he won't abandon us. But it's hard to trust, isn't it? Chuck Swindoll says, We must cease striving. And trust God to provide not what we want, what he thinks is best, and in whatever time he chooses to make it available. But this kind of trusting doesn't come naturally. It's a spiritual crisis of the will in which we must choose to exercise faith. Choose to exercise faith. It's your choice. Strive in your own strength or trust God and rest in his strength. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not, well, I'm, here I'm quoting the King James Version. Do not rely on your own understanding. I, was, I, I always, we're always read the King James Version. I'm just getting used to these newer ones now. What can I say? I'm old, you know. Anyway, in all your ways know him, and he will make your path straight. Relying on our own understanding is striving for our own ends and purposes. Acknowledging God's way, his way is superior to our way, and knowing him in all of our ways leads to straight paths. Now, what do you think is easier to walk on? A nice straight path or a really crooked, turny, twisty one? You know, I I think the straight one would be better, right? Paul writes in Romans... May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit filled with all joy and peace overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit trusting in God filled with all joy and peace overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit as it says in the second half of 1 John 4.4 the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I think King James says it better. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. (laughs) As the old song goes, another old song, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So let's recap, shall we? The keys to resisting the devil is receiving from God, being satisfied with what he gives us, not coveting or desiring more than what we need, not striving for greater and greater material gains. Enmity with the world, not friendship. Spirit-filled, walking in the Spirit, confessing our sins to God, praying without ceasing, with an attitude of gratitude in all things. In the Word, studying to show ourselves approved, learning more about Jesus, filling our hearts and our minds with the word of God so that it overflows and comes out of us we have a thing in counseling, right, the old pitcher thing and it's like you have a pitcher sitting on on the thing with water or whatever's in there, right it's perfectly fine when it's sitting there when you jostle it a little bit, stuff spills out of it and that's what happens to us when we're, we're traveling along and everything's running smooth and all of a sudden something happens, you know, something bad and it upsets us and what spills out of us is nothing more than what's in us. And what we want to have come out of us is not cursing and yelling and screaming and you know, kicking the dog and everything else. We want the Holy Spirit coming out of us, the Word of God coming out of us. So we, well, you, be, what are you filled with? You're going to be filled with the Spirit, having it come out of you. Soft-spoken, having compassion on all, being gentle with dealing, when dealing with one another, being kind and humble and having patience. God's working on me on the patience part, of Taylor, right now. But <laughs> lastly, trusting in God, we shouldn't be fearful or anxious about anything, in everything making our needs known to God through prayer and supplication. Finally, resist. But it won't be easy, brothers and sisters. Satan makes sin appealing. That's the, you know, that's that's what his job is. We think it won't hurt anybody, or it's just a little, we like to rank our sins, right? We like to think, wow, I got murder way up here, you know, and, well, cheating on my taxes, that's down here somewhere, you know. But it's all sin. That's worldly thinking. It's all sin. The Bible says anyone who breaks any part of the law breaks the entire law. So there's no such thing as a small sin. Every time we sin, every time we give in to the devil's schemes, it grieves Jesus, And it makes things more difficult for ourselves. What are the three things? Sin will always cost you more than what you want to pay. It will take you further than you thought you were going to go. What's the last one? Keep Keep you longer than you planned on staying. Mm -hmm. It always always costs you. There are no little sins. Just like there's no, you can't be a little bit pregnant. Okay? (laughs) Right? There's no little sins. So, let us pray, okay? Lord, help us to be aware of the schemes of Satan. Help us to resist them and to resist Satan in all areas of our lives. Help us to live our lives in such a way that we'll never have occasion to cause grief to Jesus, to our family, to our loved ones. Empower us by the Holy Spirit to stand, no more than stand, Lord, to advance the kingdom of God against the enemy. When Jesus comes back, let him find us faithful, hard at work, building his kingdom, doing the work that he has assigned to us so that he can say to us all, well done, thou good and faithful servants. Amen.